Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We're opening our Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. Jeremiah, chapter 9. There were some who were here early for this service this morning, and we apologize for that. We shifted the schedule this week, and so that means we now have an early service at 8.45. We have a Bible study hour at 10 and the second service at 11. So if you were here for the 10.45 service, you made it. That's what we're in right now, but it's at 11 now. And so uh, thank you for your patience. We're trying to uh, move through these varying uh, times with wisdom and try to keep everyone informed and on the same page. We're thrilled to see the response to the Bible study hour this morning. Pastor Taylor's class began again this morning. Those 65 and up gathered over here on this side of the auditorium. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to say a number of people were back who hadn't been able to come out since last March. We're trying to be careful and we want to maintain that even as we dismissed this morning. But I told Pastor Taylor, I stood up in the balcony, did a little head count. And I think he was about 85 people in that class this morning. And so, Pastor, the challenge is you've got to get it up over 100 before Christmas time. And I know you'll work hard. That's a blessing. I think we have one of the largest gatherings in a senior's class uh, anywhere on the planet. We wanted to see it get larger. So uh, you have to graduate in that class, but we're thankful for it. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. We've turned there this morning because I'm beginning a new series of messages under the heading, Awed by His Attributes. And let me just say from the outset that the challenge of introducing the attributes of God to anyone, but especially to this congregation, is an overwhelming responsibility. So you pray that God will give me wisdom in the study of these things, that I might share them with you, not just academically but that we might share in these things in heart to know our God and to aspire to know Him better. Way back in 1855, a 20-year-old minister by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon stood before his congregation. He introduced his message with these words, the proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name and the nature and the person and the work and the doings and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. All of us need a deep, personal knowledge of God. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knoweth me. I want you to aspire for something with the end in view when you pass and head home to glory if you know the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people said of you, He or she knew God. This should be our life's greatest ambition, to know God. And that's the theme of the message this morning, knowing God. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, now I pray that You'd prepare our hearts for what we see in Your Word. May we see it through the lens of the Spirit of God. May the illuminating power of the Spirit of God work in our hearts. Thank You, Lord, for the Word of God, for the privilege we have of gathering this morning in this free land. And not knowing how long we have, 
We can think of nothing greater, nothing more wonderful, nothing more important than the study of our God, the one whose person we will study with joy throughout eternity. May today be a blessing to each one who's gathered and a challenge to those who've gathered who need to know Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen. There's an old fable that comes out of India of six blind men who had the privilege of visiting in a palace. And as they entered into the palace grounds, there was an elephant there, and perhaps you've heard how they analyzed their view of what an elephant was. One of the blind men, touching the side of the elephant, said, the elephant is like a wall. The second of the blind men touched the trunk of the elephant and said, no, the elephant is like a snake. The third blind man touched the ear of the elephant and said, the elephant is like a fan. The fourth blind man touched the leg of the elephant and said, no, the elephant is like a tree. One of the blind men touched the tusk of the elephant and said, the the elephant is like a spear. Then the final blind man touched the tail of the elephant and said, no, the elephant is like a rope. They all had an impression, (laughs) but they really didn't have an accurate impression of what an elephant was. Even so, there are many who have an impression of God. They have a view of God in this way or that, but not a whole composite picture of the God that we worship this morning. And so, in fact, God says to us in the 50th Psalm and the 15th verse, you thought that I was altogether like you. And God is clearly not like us. R.C. Sproul was right when he said, it's not enough to know that God is. You must be driven by a holy passion to know who God is. The pursuit of the knowledge of God must never be undertaken as a casual exercise. It must be the chief business of our lives. As we study the attributes of God, we enter into a study that's inexhaustible in scope. As we study the attributes of God, we enter into a study that's unfathomable in complexity, yet indispensable to our faith and to our spiritual success. The Apostle Paul, who had walked with the Lord for many years before he wrote Philippians chapter 3, said in verse 10, that I may know him, his passion as a mature believer needs to be our passion today, regardless of where we are in our spiritual walk, that we may know Him. And folks, it's a blessing today to be able to say that knowing Him is a possibility. We begin there this morning, the possibility of of knowing God. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to many places this morning. This is not accidental, and I'll help you be guided along the way. We're going to start in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you've opened to Jeremiah, we're going to go back just a couple of books, and you're going to find as you go back a couple of books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. They come in that order. So Psalms being the largest section there in the Old Testament. If you can find that, you'll go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There are those who never study the person of God having given up hopelessly at the beginning of the study, believing that somehow God is unknowable. Or because God's attributes and God's character, God's person, God's perfections are so immense, and I'm so common and I'm so ordinary, I couldn't possibly give my time to anything beneficial when it comes to studying God. But folks, it is possible for us to study God and to get to know God 
It's, be, it's possible because God shows Himself to us first through intuition. God shows Himself to us first through intuition. Let me explain. You have your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Look at verse 11. It says here, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Aren't you thankful for that? When we go through challenging times and our hearts are heavy, when the light finally dawns and we realize that God has brought us through that tunnel of adversity and landed us on a mountain of glory, He makes everything beautiful in His time. What a wonderful promise for us to consider even if we're in the valley today. There'll be a time when that valley will become a beautiful vista of His glory. And now we know also He hath set the world in their heart. Now that Hebrew word that's translated in your King James Bible, world, means eternity. God has set eternity in our hearts. And so no matter where we go on the planet, cultures everywhere will find something to worship. There are those cultures that are considered polytheistic. The Buddhist, the Confucianist, those who follow after Hinduism believe that there are some 33 million gods. No matter where you land on the planet, people will be worshiping some form of God. Why is that? Because intuitively we know He has planted eternity in our hearts. Augustine was famous for saying, Thou hast made us for Thyself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee bringing some to call this the God-shaped hole in every person. Anthropologists, those who study man, so fascinated by this God-shaped hole that believe it or not, they've tried to study DNA to discover why people universally believe in God. Some have conducted studies of the brain, putting the mind or the brain under EKGs to study this God-shaped hole. Why is it? that people everywhere believe in God. Because intuitively, God has planted eternity in our hearts. It's possible to know God intuitively, through intuition. It's possible to know God at some level through creation. Through creation. In fact, if you take your Bibles and go back just a couple of books, go back to Psalm 19. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the 19th Psalm. Psalm 19, David is singing of his praise to his God. We can imagine David, the shepherd boy, without any light pollution on the hills where he was watching over his sheep. As he looks up into the beauty of the heavens and he sings this wonderful psalm, the 19th psalm, the first verse, the heavens declare the glory of God. Literally, they're always declaring the glory of God. The firmament is always showing His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech. There is no language where their voice cannot be heard. God is showing Himself to us always through creation. No one can look up into the heavens and explore the immensity of the galaxy. And then bring that lens back to see the intricacies of the leaf on the tree or the flower in the, in the meadow without recognizing that all this creation had to have a creator and all this design had to have a designer. The human body, our anatomy, what a mystery, what an amazing mystery. They say that the human eye is made up of some 40 plus composite parts. We know the pupil and the iris and the retina 
Those parts all working together can process some 10 million component stimuli during one specific second. We're just talking about the human eye. When Charles Darwin was asked about the human eye, the founder of evolutionary thought, got on us for a moment, and he said that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd to the highest degree. Exactly. The human eye could be a product of natural selection. It's an absurdity. Those who follow after evolutionary thought, believing that we are somehow the product of evolutionary years growing to the form and frame that we are today, leave out along the way this ultimate question. How did we get here really? Why is it that everyone has eternity in their heart? How do you explain the mysteries of the marvels of this creation? God has revealed himself to us through intuition, through creation, but especially he reveals himself to us through special revelation. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 is a verse that many in this room know. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word scripture there is preceded. All scripture is given by inspiration, is postseded rather is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration, it's the only time in the New Testament that specific technical word is used. It's a wonderful word. All Scripture is given by inspiration. The word is theotnustos. I'm not going to grade you on this today. But it's a Greek word that is beautiful. It means theos, which is God, and neustos. We get our word pneumonia or pneumatics. It means God's breath. All Scripture is given by the breath of God. This is special revelation. Second Peter says, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, literally born along like the wind would push a sail, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How did the Bible come to be? It is the breath of God produced for us to explore the mysteries of God. It paints for us a beautiful portrait of God. It presents the perfect, the only perfect, intricate portrait of God. It is the authoritative portrait of God. It presents the personal portrait of God that you'll not know in intuition and you'll not know through creation. But as you open the pages of God's Word, you see the grace of God, the love of God, the sovereignty of God, the care of God. And you declare with the psalmist in Psalm 100 and verse 5, the Lord is good. His mercies endure throughout all the generations. And C.H. Spurgeon was a little boy. The man who came to be known as London's greatest preacher was quite precocious. Before he was of age of five, he was already widely known as a strong reader, an interesting little personality, He was living in the home of his grandfather who pastored a church in rural England. One day he heard his grandfather praying for a man in the church who had been wayward. The man's name was Mr. Rhodes. Grandfather Spurgeon was praying that Mr. Rhodes would leave the place where he was drinking his ale and come back to church. Little Charles heard his grandfather pray and he looked at his grandfather and he said, you know what, Grandpa, I'm going to kill that Mr. Rhodes. Grandpa Spurgeon said, no, 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 we're going to pray for him. Son, we don't kill anybody. You know, I'm going to kill him. 
Grandpa Spurgeon didn't exactly know what to say, and a few weeks went by, and one day little Charles came into the house. I killed him, I did. Grandpa Spurgeon said, you did what? He said, I killed him. A few moments later, Mr. Rhodes was knocking on the door. Grandpa Spurgeon opened the door. Mr. Rhodes stood there in the doorway, and he said, I was down at the pub drinking my ale, and that little grandson of yours came in. He found where I was seated, and he wagged his little finger under my face, and he said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Breaking your pastor's heart. He said his words smote my heart. Pastor, I need to leave the place where I've been drinking and come back to the ways of the Lord. And he did. As the years went by, finally Mr. Rhodes was an old man. He was dying. Reverend Spurgeon went to his house to visit with this man who had been so faithful for these decades since that little boy had wagged his finger. He found that man in his bed with a Bible on his chest. He said, Rhodes, is that your Bible? Rhodes said, yes, it's my Bible. Rhodes said, Pastor, you know I've never been able to read. But, he said, I've counted every page. He had a hunger in his heart to know God. And he knew where he can find him. You find God in the pages of his word. He especially revealed himself to us here. And pity the soul that doesn't come here to be fed. You'll find as you read your Bible that 162 times these words come up. I am the Lord. For instance, in Exodus 12 and verse 12, we read, I will execute judgment for I am the Lord. And we immediately learn something, that God is a God who judges. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 16, I am the Lord which healeth thee. And we learn that God heals us. In Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. In Isaiah 51 and verse 15, I am the Lord who divided the seas. He's declaring his power to create all that we see. In Joel 2 and verse 27, I am the Lord and there is none else. In Malachi 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, and praise God for this, and I change not. His immutability is declared. Take your Bibles with me and go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Over and over, the Word of God contains the words of God as God introduces Himself to us, making it possible for us to know God. And so as we turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, we we see the words of God as he introduces himself to Moses, making it possible for Moses to know God and for us to know God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament, verse 6, I am the Lord thy God. Verse 7, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 9, thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love and keep my commandments. God begins to introduce himself to Moses, who will lead the children of Israel from the place of Egypt 
over toward the promised land. And he begins to introduce himself to Moses by introducing some of his attributes. For I am the Lord and I am a jealous God, he says in verse 9. In verse 10, I show mercy. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who blesses those thousands who love him. You say, what are the attributes of God, Pastor? Well, the old Puritans called them the perfections of God. That's a good word. They are the characteristics of God. It is who God is in essence as we consider his personality. Now, they can't be divided and have God be God. God's attributes can be studied under a number of different headings, and we'll look at that in future weeks. But when we talk about the attributes of God, it's, it's that characteristic of God, those characteristics of God that make God God, and none of them can be severed. And how wonderful it is to discover that when God wants to befriend sinners, us who are fallen, who are recognizable by the scars of Adam's sin, he begins to introduce himself to us by intricately, wonderfully, specifically telling us who he is. And so we hunger after knowing his attributes, studying his attributes, getting to know God because it's possible What a blessing, this possibility. J.I. Packer well said, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction, no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life, Packer says, and you can lose your soul. We live in a generation that has hungered little for the study of the attributes of God. We live in a generation where many go to church services that are little more than spiritual self-help studies. A friend, when we study the attributes of God, we study the essence of what is necessary for success not only in this life but in eternity. And thank God to the pages of God's Word, we have the possibility of knowing God. And so we need to make it a priority. And this is our second heading this morning, the priority of knowing God. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, back just one page. Perhaps you're asking this morning, well, how can I know God? How can I know God? I'm not a very good student. I have a hard time moving even from page to page in the Bible. But listen to the promise that God makes in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 29, he says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. David was called a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet singer of Israel, the king upon the throne that one day Jesus Christ, his greater son, will occupy. David said in Psalm 63 and verse 1, O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee, as if in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water, to see thy power, to see thy glory. David set the priority of his heart to know God. And he said to Solomon, his son, In 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9, the Lord seeketh, searches rather, all the hearts. He understands the imagination of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found of thee. 
But if you cast him off, he will cast thee off forever. Let me encourage you to make it a priority in your life to know God, to really know God. If you take your Bibles and go with me to the end of the Old Testament, we're going to go to the book of Hosea. Ezekiel and Daniel are the last of the major prophets. And right after Ezekiel and Daniel, you'll find Hosea, which is the first book of what would be called the minor prophets. So Ezekiel, Daniel, then Hosea. And we're going to go to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. And there we discover that knowing God is essential for living. Knowing God is essential for living. For living well. For living to please Him. (laughs) For living to please the one who created you. You must know God. Hosea 6, beginning in verse 1. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on, to know the Lord. Hosea is talking to a community filled with sin, living in lust, waiting for the pending judgment of God, not knowing which direction to turn. He's encouraging them to return to the Lord, and he says this, then shall we know If we follow after to know the Lord, we will know how to live, but we'll only know how to live if we know God. Then we will know how to follow. We seek the Lord, making it a priority, because in seeking Him, we discover how to live. And in seeking Him, we find that which is essential to really loving Him. Look at what he says in Hosea 6 and verse 6, now God is speaking. He's talking to this nation that's gone astray. He's correcting their errors. And in verse 6, he says, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. You're offering these sacrifices in the temple. The smoke is coming up of your precious oxen and lambs that you've given. I would prefer that you had mercy on each other. That there was kindness that was reigning in your nation. But he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and watch it, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The burnt offerings were symbols of the love, the affection, the loyalty of the people of Israel. And God says, I don't want that. I won't ask for a raising of hands if there are men who have ever brought home a gift to their wife that they really didn't want. I have a friend who actually bought his wife what he thought to be a great Christmas gift. He bought her a totem pole. She wasn't real impressed with the totem pole that he bought for Christmas. It really didn't wind her romantic heart. But there it was. You couldn't deny it. He'd bought a totem pole. Sometimes people present things (laughs) meaning to demonstrate love, and they fall so short. I love the story of the bride who went to the bridal shop And the attendant in the bridal shop said to her, what kind of a dress would you like? And the bride-to-be said, I want a loud one. The lady in the bridal shop said, excuse me? She said, you know, I want a loud one. And the lady said, I I really don't know. I've never had a bride ask for a loud dress. What do you mean by that? And the bride-to-be said, I want one that makes a lot of noise. And the attendant in the bridal shop said, really? 
I've never had that request before. Why do you want a gown that makes a lot of noise? And she said, my groom is blind. I want him to hear every step I take. She knew the groom and could express her love. If you don't know God, you can't worship Him with wisdom. You can't serve Him with wisdom. You can't express your love for Him with wisdom. Dear friend, we must make it a priority to know God. And as we make it a priority to know God, we discover there's power in knowing God. Take your Bibles and go back with me just a book behind. We're going to go back to the book of Daniel. Back to the book of Daniel, chapter 11, and discover a wonderful promise in God's Word. Daniel, chapter 11, the 32nd verse. Daniel 11, verse 32. Here's what the Word of God says. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Two things happen when people know God. One, they're strong. They can stand when challenges come. And they do exploits. They can take action. You see, when you tap into the person of God, you're tapping into the power of omnipotence. When you tap into the person of God, you're tapping into the omniscience that provides wisdom for daily living. The power that comes in knowing God is infinite. Those who know their God will be strong. They can stand in adversity and they are action-oriented. They can, rather than crumble, move forward even through catastrophe. And the Bible provides illustrations of that. The Bible tells us that those who know God have power in prayer. I think about the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 32. They have so abused their relationship with God and so rebelled against him that God pulls Moses aside and he says, Moses, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to start a new nation through you. You will be the father of a new nation. And Moses stands praying to God. And this is what he says, God, I know that they're rebellious people. But God, you're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that these would be your people. And God, you always keep your promises. And so God, please, don't destroy this people. And God says, that's a man who knows me. And I won't destroy these people because he knows my promises and he knows my character. The Word of God tells us the story of the Assyrians all around the city of Jerusalem, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When Hezekiah goes into the temple and falls on his face before God, he cries out, God, you have promised to protect us as your people and this your holy city. He goes to bed that night, the next morning when he wakes up, they look out from the walls of Jerusalem and 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrian army are all dead. How'd that happen? There's power in prayer to the person who knows God. If you covet power in prayer, learn to know God. Those who know God find that they have power when problems come. <laughs> and problems come. The Word of God tells us about a day when Elijah was invited into the Shunammite woman's home because the Shunammite woman's son had died. What would you do in that situation? 
The Bible tells us about Elijah praying over that Shunammite son's body and that little boy being raised. During that time of problem, Elijah knew where to turn. The same thing happens in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 9 when Peter is brought into the home of a, a widow lady, Dorcas, who's died and he prays and she lives. I'm not saying that in your knowledge of God you're going to have the power of Elijah to raise someone from the dead, but I'll tell you this, when you're facing some situation where death is involved, you'll have the power to move through. Those who know God have feet under them. They are strong, and they do exploits. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. For some, it will be the loss of health. For some, the loss of employment. For some, a relationship that will fracture. For some, they will face off with death, but we know this, that the only way we can get through those calamities, the only way we can keep from collapsing is to know the power of God. Those who know their God will be strong and will do exploits. Will you seek Him? Deuteronomy 4 verse 29 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart, you say, how can I do that? Remember, he reveals himself best in the pages of God's Word. For many years, I've heard young people at the wilds challenged by speakers who say, here's what you might want to consider. Get a blank notebook. Put on the front of that blank notebook my diary of God, or simply my God is. And as you start reading your Bible, every time you discover something more about the character of God, write it down in that notebook. Make it your notebook. We recently at home have been reading through 1 John. We've been trying to share what it means to have the privilege of knowing we're saved and how we can test our salvation. 1 John's a wonderful book for that. And over and again we've read those who are truly saved, those who are truly born again, they love the brothers. You can mark it down over and over again. Even so your diary, you'll mark it down over and over again. God cares, God is merciful, God is loving. God is holy. God is just. God is filled with wrath against sin. God is eternal. God is unchanging. You'll find all these things of the character of God. It's a wonderful way to strengthen our soul. Listen, you can go to another self-help group and come back and go to another one and another one, but you will never be strong and you will never do exploits until you know God. And you will never know God until you trace the fingerprints of God in His Word. And every person here that has access to the Word of God has access to the knowledge of the greatest power for life and eternity. And what do you think we're going to spend eternity doing? Oh, getting to know God. Folks, as we consider the way to know God, let me just recommend to you that there is a pathway. There is a pathway for knowing God. Take your Bibles. We're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to stop in John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 14. In John chapter 14, where we discover the pathway to knowing God. There are analogies, there are metaphors in the pages of God's Word that help us to understand our relationship with God. For instance, the Bible says our relationship with God can be like a wife and a husband. Our relationship with God can be like a son with a father. Our relationship with God can be like a subject with a king. Our relationship with God can be like a sheep with a shepherd. And every one of those analogies is helpful because every one of those analogies portrays a benefactor 
providing for the needs of another, the benefactor who loves providing for the needs of another. But all these pictures, all these metaphors are silenced when we come to discover the pathway to knowing God is a person, and the person is Jesus Christ. We've opened to John chapter 14, where we read in verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The disciples, confused by this great statement that Jesus has made, ask that he show them the way. And Jesus says in John 14 and verse 9, Have I been so long a time with you and you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus reveals the Father, for Jesus is God. In studying Jesus, the mind apart from the Spirit of God, the man who's never come to know the blessing of salvation, is often terribly confused. It's a stumbling block to consider that the Bible teaches us that Jesus was born of a virgin, and he was. Uniquely born because he had a unique purpose in his life to give himself as the sacrifice for our sin. And so it required a unique birth, born of a virgin. He lived without sin. Absolutely essential if he would give himself as a perfect sacrifice for sin, he had to be totally without sin. The human mind wrestles with the idea that he did miracles, that the sea stopped its waves at his word. The human mind wrestles with the concept that this one could take a few loaves and feed the thousands, that this one could heal those who had leprosy, that this one who walked on this planet could raise the dead and say, Lazarus, come forth. But this is what the Word of God tells us about Jesus. And we're not surprised, for we know that Jesus is God. There should not be confusion here. There should rather be blessing. But reality is, nothing in fiction, nothing in fiction is as fantastic as the truth of the resurrection. That one who died rose from the dead. Even the Bible says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That but this one, Jesus Christ, was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. It is a great mystery. But to know God, you've got to know Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 says, In Him, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you want to know all of the attributes of God in one understandable, beautiful package, then come to Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the one who said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And he went to the cross to die for your sins and for mine and went to the grave to prove that he's God. You say, what do you mean? In the grave, assumed that he could not come out. Romans chapter 1 reminds us in verse 4, he's proven to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. How do I know God? I know God through Jesus. When our babies were, were little, my wife was careful with their diet. She wanted to give them a head start in life, and so especially during the first year, 
It was vegetables and all those mashed things that look so appetizing. No sugar until their first birthday. And on their first birthday, she'd bake them a little cake, all their own, put one little candle in it, put them in the high chair and get the camera ready. I'll never forget that moment watching them kind of play in it, get the gooey stuff all over their fingers. And then the finger goes in the mouth and you watch the eyes go, Nobody has to be taught to eat the sugar. Even so, the Word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to know God. Knowing God is life's greatest possibility. Knowing God is life's greatest priority. Knowing God is life's greatest power. And you know God through Jesus. And so this morning, have you come to know Jesus who loved you and died for you and is waiting for you to accept the forgiveness of sins that he offers for you through the death that he died on your behalf and mine when he went to Calvary for us to show us the love of our God. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.